John 21. You want to find that in your Bibles this morning. John chapter 21. Good to have you. If you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. And just pray that the service is a blessing. And that God would speak to your heart as we pray he speaks to all of our hearts today. John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They saith unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. That's what usually happens to me. And when the morning was now come, Jesus, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. Now I just filled in the inflection there, but all the men who've ever fished understand. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to the land there, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said to them, Come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. I've titled the message this morning, Jesus is looking for you. Jesus is looking for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be in your house and just to enjoy fellowship together and lift up your name. And as we look in your word, our prayer so you'd speak to our hearts and we'd respond as we speak, to, as you have spoken to us. And if there's even one who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, would they understand today that Jesus is looking for them? 
Thankful for your word in our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, all of you in this room have seen uh, representations of Jesus that artists have put on canvas. So you, you all have seen those, or I certainly have. Let's just put it this way. They're probably not extremely accurate. Unless, unless say, if Jesus were born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, <laughs> most of those depictions that we see of Jesus are probably really not true to life. So I'm about to reference, though, a painting or a, an image of Jesus that uh, I have seen. And, and while there are probably certainly inaccuracies, all of us understand that. And anytime we see a picture, a painting of Jesus, there's one I have seen that certainly, and you may have seen uh, one similar, that does depict truth. And I remember as a boy seeing this, and I think it was one of those pictures, if you have a children, a Bible that's meant for children, and it's got a lot of pictures in it, and it's not that you're not listening to the preacher, it's just you're not listening to the preacher. And you're looking at those wonderful, colorful images, those pictures that are in your Bible. And I believe that's where I remember seeing this picture. Maybe it was at church on a wall. I can't remember, but uh, you may have seen this. And there's a lamb in the picture. And this lamb is precariously caught in briars and thorns. And it's clinging to a rocky ledge that's overlooking this great chasm. And this lamb is dirty and bleeding and helpless. And it's obvious it's in imminent danger. And what you see then is this, the arm of the shepherd. And the arm of the shepherd is reaching out almost ready to take hold on this helpless lamb. And the shepherd, you can tell, is taking great risk as he too clings to the rocks to rescue his lost lamb. You've probably seen a similar. That image says, says so many things about our good shepherd really says also a lot about you and I. Because this truth of this image, although there's obviously inaccuracies in it, but the truth of this image is the story of Jesus. In that one image, we have really the story of the Bible. We have the story of God. We have the story of you and I that one image is who God is and why he sent his son. It's on display. In that image, in just that one picture, we have who we are and why we need him. It's on display. 
Think of what that image doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us how the lamb got in that predicament, does it? Doesn't say a word. We don't get a word from that picture, how that lamb got there. And to be quite honest, it really doesn't matter because the shepherd would have sought, sought that lamb regardless of how it got there. It doesn't tell us the lamb's name. It doesn't tell us the lamb's background. We don't know the parentage of the lamb because it doesn't matter because that lamb represents all of us. It doesn't tell us how long that lamb has been lost. It doesn't tell us how far away he may have strayed. And it doesn't really matter because the shepherd would seek that lost lamb until it found it regardless. When you think about it, there, there's no more powerful image in our mind in both the Old and the New Testaments than that of the shepherd who loves his sheep so much that without regard of his own life, he seeks until he finds Jesus is that seeking shepherd and he's seeking the lost sheep. And can I tell you this? If you're in here and you're going to relate here in a minute to this guy named Peter. If you're in here and you have failed. If you have fallen. If you have sinned, if you have strayed. Can I tell you this? And I'm 100% sure that this is accurate. Jesus is seeking, he's looking for you. And if you want to see how that's demonstrated in someone's life, it's no better demonstrated for us than our friend Peter. Peter who failed. He failed and then he deserted, and then he was sought, and then he was found by Jesus. And what really we see in this chapter is Jesus reaching out for his lost lamb, Peter, and really you see yourself. We can see ourselves. Because number one, Peter failed, and he failed at this. Peter failed at following. He failed at following. You know, the Bible records so many failures. You know why we, one reason we know the Bible is true. It is so honest. Whenever I die and you write my biography, don't include the bad stuff. Have you ever read a biography and it just had a whole chapter of this is how that guy fell? This is all the messed up things this guy did. You don't read that about our heroes. But when the Bible is recording, it is so honest about the failures of what we consider our heroes from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, here we find them disobedient, hiding from God. We're introduced to Noah, who was a great man and did a great thing. And God used in a great way. And we see him drunk. In his tent, we find Abraham, who was a great man of God, one of the patriarchs of our faith, and he's lying about his wife. Sarah, who's so impatient for a child, we see her pushing her handmaiden to be a surrogate. 
Moses, who was probably the greatest leader ever to live, and yet he disobeyed and struck the rock three times. We see Elijah, who was as bold as a lion, but now we find him cowering, depressed, wishing for death. We see King Saul in the home of a witch. We see King David on a rooftop. I mean, this could go on and on and on. How many times we see our heroes, the people we look up to and we read about in our Bibles, people of great faith, and we see them fail but it's not just people in the Bible. Because if you've been around long enough, you have seen people that you have loved and respected and appreciated and were blessed by. You too have seen that they are human. They fell. They've sinned. They've strayed. And though we don't want to dwell on it, we have all failed. And I have failed, and to be quite honest, and this doesn't sound great, there's more failure on my horizon. Aren't you glad there's not a book somewhere just full of all your failures? And you know how it is. Because you did that thing that you promised yourself and God you wouldn't do. You did it. You promised God you wouldn't do it. You promised yourself you'd stop doing it. You wouldn't do it anymore. This was the last Time. You did it. And you did that thing you thought you never would do. You saw other people do it. Boy, I'll never do that. I'll never go down that road. I'll never get that bad. And then you did. And maybe it was in a big way or a small way in secret and no one knows but you and God, but you failed. Or maybe it was in a big way and everybody saw, everybody was there to witness it. Let's all face it. We're all in this together with Peter. Because Peter failed. Paul the apostle, who in this room wouldn't say, now Paul was a believer. He was a follower. He was a great man of God. Everyone would sign off on that. His words in Romans 7. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. It's almost as if I wrote that. But Paul wrote it. We're all in this together. But we're talking a little bit more specifically about Peter right now. Does not his failure kind of rank among a big one? You got to just picture Peter in my mind. I know you probably, when you're thinking and you're reading about these disciples and their personalities and her, who they were, do you not see Peter as just this enormous barrel-chested man whose personality was just as big, full of what we might call swagger? Pride, certainly good intentions. And the reason I say his failure kind of ranks among one of the biggest is because you remember just a few chapters back how he had this loud promise. Jesus, I'm, if it means death, I'm going to follow you all the way there. And then in the garden, there was this episode, this brief episode of bravery as he pulled out his sword and proved that he's not good at swordmanship. 
but he pulled it out anyway. And he went to slicing and hit a guy and knocked his ear off. But then, if we could put it this way, when Jesus needed his disciples, they all deserted him. And we find Peter sitting by a fire, denying him three times. The good I would do, that I don't. That I would not, that I do. And it's such an important time, if you can put it that way, it's such an important time. When everything was at stake, Peter failed miserably with all eyes on him. And we know the story, how he sat warming by the fire and confronted by three different people about his relationship to this Jesus. He denied, he denied, he cursed and denied. And then after that, would it surprise you if we found Peter in kind of a low place? You know what I mean? The Bible says he went out immediately after his denial and wept bitterly. I mean, bitter, hurtful tears. And then Sunday morning, Sunday morning comes. Peter's the first to, you know how they, John and Peter, and they run to the tomb. And John, of course, who's smaller and much more athletic, outruns Peter, who can't run very fast. And they running to the tomb, and John stops, and Peter, just like I picture him, just runs right in this empty tomb. But until that time, he's full of doubt, he's full of disappointment. He's full of disappointment in what he's done. He's disappointed that Jesus is gone. He's disappointed how he's failed him. But now Sunday morning's come and the resurrection. And, and I can imagine that Peter is certainly excited. Jesus has resurrected. But at the same time, a little bit apprehensive to look Jesus in the eye. He was humiliated. He was disappointed with himself. He was discouraged and maybe a little bit doubtful of where, what do I do now? You've been there. Embarrassed. You promised. You gave up and gave, got up and gave a testimony. You told people, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm not going to stray anymore. I'm going to walk the straight and narrow and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. And now you're embarrassed because you were sure you had a handle on it. You were sure you were sure that you had everything under control. But all of a sudden, once again, when it was crunch time, when the temptation came, fell. So how we have Jesus in chapter 21 after his resurrection you read and you study, you'll find he appeared probably 10 different times after his resurrection to different groups or individuals. But three times we know for sure that he was appearing to his disciples or most of them at one time. On the second time in Matthew chapter number 16, Jesus gave these instructions 
Go your way, tell his disciples. Now this comes from the angel. Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him as he said unto you. And there, wait there for him. He says to his disciples, you go and you wait and Jesus is going to come and appear to you in Galilee. Now, as we find in verse in chapter 21, we're introduced to the characters who are here at the seashore and there's seven disciples waiting for Jesus. Two of them are not named, it says. Two other of his disciples in verse number two. I was reading J. Vernon McGee and he said this. Perhaps since this is a crowd of problem children, they represent you and me. <laughs> By problem children, he means this. Well, there's Peter. He's often been called the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> Peter. Thomas is mentioned. He's there. We know Thomas was a little skeptical. He's kind of carried that with him now. Thomas, we always call him the doubter. Nathaniel was there. Nathaniel was the wisecracker. Remember when he was ta someone talked to him about Jesus, he said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And then you had the sons of thunder, James and John, whose mommy, the th sons of thunder, mom, will you tell Jesus <laughs> to, let, to let us sit one on the right and one on the left? Can you picture them two with their drug by their mother in front of Jesus? Can my boys sit one? So you have those two unnamed disciples. They're waiting for Jesus, as he said to wait. But you can imagine the events now that were surrounding all that had taken place. They're, the entry into Jerusalem there on Palm Sunday, then you had the arrest in the garden, then the trial, the crucifixion, and the empty tomb, and his appearances. This roller coaster that they've been on, it must have been tremendous. This, the highs and the lows that they've experienced in the last several days. And Peter, now more than others, probably was a little fearful and anxious. And he's impatient, and it's all rolled into one. All these emotions that he's feeling. And maybe as they waited there by the sea, as they said, wait for Jesus, maybe they begin to wonder in their hearts, did we really see Jesus resurrected? Was it true? Maybe it was a dream we had. Maybe it was some kind of spirit and, and there was excitement, but now time has gone by and, and with time, sometimes excitement kind of wanes and the reality kind of wanes and this much is true, we know, in spite of his failure. And Peter's failure was big. In spite of what he, Peter had done, Jesus hadn't given up on him. Amen. When Jesus told the parable, these were Jesus' words. When Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep, listen to what he says. What man of you having a hundred sheep? If he lose one of them, now you'd have to be a shepherd to understand that. I'm not. If I had 100 sheep and lost one, I'd be thankful. <laughs> one less. So he's talking about a world that we really don't understand, isn't he? If, so the words of Jesus, if he lose one, doth not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost. And notice this phrase. 
until he find it. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop looking. He doesn't stop searching. He doesn't stop caring. He doesn't stop loving that lost one. Think of that phrase. It must mean that regardless of who you are or how far you've gone, it doesn't matter how far you've strayed or how dirty you are or how far off the path you've gone or how long it's been. Can I tell you, if you're in this room, Jesus is still looking for you. And those out there who this morning are in bed or somewhere else and they know better, Jesus is looking for them. And for those who have never heard a good, accurate, true presentation of the gospel this morning, Jesus is looking for them. Jesus is not going to give up seeking that lost, and in this case, that lost Peter who failed at following. And now we're going to see him in verse number three fail at something else. Fail, Peter failed at fishing. Of all things, back to his old life, it looks like, doesn't it? Because if you look in Luke in chapter number five, you'll see, you'll see this. When Jesus approached Peter, it says, when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So Peter had already turned his back on fishing and that part of his life to follow Jesus. And now it kind of looks when he says, I go fishing, it kind of looks I'm going back to what I know. I know fishing. I know how to catch fish. And these others who are with him, evidently fishing was in their blood. And they said, we'll, we'll go too. We, we understand that. It seems like Peter's ready to go back to his old life. I failed at following Jesus. I tried. I said I was going to. I even gave it my best effort. But I, I failed at being, being a follower. So I'm going back to that thing I know I can do for sure. And that's fish. When you think about it, it's like Peter, the, the failure of his past and, and the events basically of that one night and they were still on his mind and heavy on his heart made him difficult to go forward. He wanted to go forward and follow God and he, he wanted to keep serving and trusting, but his past held him back. And what happened just a few days ago was so heavy on his heart and on his mind, he just didn't even know what to do. He had denied Jesus. This failure can make it hard to keep going. I remember when I was a kid, I had a bicycle, banana seat. Yeah, you remember those. Banana seat with the sissy bar. The kids these days, they don't know nothing. <laughs> Banana seat with the sissy bar, red, beautiful bike. My dad had got me, and my dad was decided he needed to teach me to ride a bike. In his defense, my dad didn't do anything I didn't do when I taught my boys to ride a bike. But I just couldn't get it. And my dad would exhort and he would encourage and then he would push. <laughs> Our yard kind of had a little grade to it. Exhort, courage, push. And that would be followed by falling over and crying. More exhorting, 
push, same. And I can remember I began to dread that bike. Just seeing that bike in the garage, grinning at me. It was teasing me, it was challenging me, knowing that it wielded this enormous power over me. I hated that bike. And I would dread because my dad inevitably would come home from work and I knew what he was going to say. He was going to say, let's try to ride that bike. And I didn't even have to fall to cry. <laughs> I would immediately cry. And I'd plead, Dad, don't make me sit on that demonic instrument of death. Man is not meant to be on two wheels. For other people, sure, but not for me. And all my past failures made it so that I didn't even want to try anymore. I still remember, and I was intimidated, and I was scared. And I just knew that bike riding, it's okay. I see kids ride bike for some, but remember this. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. And I don't know how many times you may have fallen over. But I know this. He's still seeking for you. Amen. He hasn't given up on you. He's not leaving you out there in the wilderness, in the elements, by yourself. He's looking for you. And now we see Peter has a failure as a follower and now a failure as a fisherman fishing all night all night and in the manner and the way that they fished it would have been an exhausting uh, night an exhausting endeavor of fishing and add to that they've got absolutely nothing not one fish now, nowadays, you know, a man, a couple guys, they could go out fishing and they have a good time. Rather, if they catch anything or they don't catch anything, there's male bonding and all that. We still had a good, did you catch fish? Well, I caught, you know, a baby, but they still have fun. But remember now, it's different. There's no fellowship. There's no laughter. There's no having a good time. They're not in the boat for fun. They're there to catch fish. And in spite of all this knowledge and experience that's in this boat, you can imagine, they still haven't caught anything. Nothing. Think of this. Paul or Peter says, I'm going to go back. I'm not good at this. I'm going back to what I know. And I'm going to be good at that. It's going to bring me happiness and fish and fulfillment. It's going to Make me happy to go back to where I was and do what I used to do and everything will be good again. And you know what he found out? Not so much. And any believer who thinks I'm going to go back to my old ways, my old habits, my old way of thinking and I'm going to be happy. Can I tell you, you're kidding yourself because you're not going to go back and be happy. And you may live like the world and you may turn your back on God. And you may be worse than the worst infidel. But can I tell you, God is not going to leave you alone. Well, do that. Do go back. You won't be happy. You may be successful and you may go after life and grab it and you may have all the gusto, but there'll be no satisfaction. In fact, you'll be the most miserable person on the planet. Because when you truly belong to him, the world may have attraction, but it has no joy. 
no fulfillment, only empty promises, only an empty net. And that's just as true for a believer as it is an unbeliever. So if you doubt that, read the words of Solomon who had a net full and wrote, it's empty. And part of what our good shepherd does when he's searching for us is that inward pull, that conviction in our spirit. And when we can try to seek happiness and peace in something outside of him, what we find out is emptiness. And we see that he's still reaching, he's still looking. And now we see Jesus looking for Peter. Yeah, this is the third time that Peter's seen Jesus since the crucifixion. Third time. Third time since his resurrection. But this is going to be the first time in this kind of intimate setting because up to this point Jesus and Peter have had really haven't had a conversation don't you wonder if Peter is thinking and he's as he looking in what he's thinking is he looking into the eyes of the one that he has denied is he dreading that moment because he failed so miserably and now he's failed also at fishing would Jesus be able to forgive him and Jesus calls out to them in verse number five, and he says, children, they don't see, they, either he's too far away, they can't recognize him for whatever reason. Maybe the sun has just started to come up. And he says, I'm, they've caught nothing. What, cast your net on the other side. <laughs> Have you ever like saw somebody catch a fish a few feet, men, you saw someone catch a fish down the bank a little bit. You, what's the first thing you do? I'm going over there. As if, you know, the fish are just hanging out in this one spot. Cast your net on the other side. This is the second time this has happened, hasn't it? Luke chapter number five, same thing. They do it. They don't even ask questions. They do it. As soon as the net is full, Peter recognizes it's the Lord. He jumps in and swims to shore. He doesn't even wait. He jumps in and swims to shore while the rest struggle to bring in all these fish. What he finds is Jesus, Jesus already had fish and a fire, and bread. Peter sits down for the first time, just he and Jesus. I wonder if Peter looked at that fire and his mind went back to the last time he sat by a fire. I wonder if he saw the fish and the bread that Jesus had repaired and prepared to remember when Jesus fed thousands out of a boy's lunch. I'm just guessing that everything Peter saw brought conviction. I was there by the fire. I was there when Jesus did this. I was there. I denied that I even knew him. But Jesus doesn't mention it. He says, come eat. No doubt they're hungry. They fished all night. Breakfast, that fish frying probably smelled good. Jesus once again takes the role of the servant, doesn't he? I wonder if their minds went back to that time where Jesus took a basin of water and a towel, washed their feet. Here they were in the presence of the risen, 
Lord, the same one that they had spent so much time with, the same one they had watched do the impossible, the same one who had done the miraculous over and over. Here he was. He was the same one, but it was different. He was their old friend, but not quite the same. Before they were aware of his humanity, and now they're aware of his deity. And what Peter found... And what all of us find is that when we think we finally found him, we find that he was seeking us all along. Even when Peter failed, and as that last denial left his lips, and he heard that rooster, and he ran out and wept bitterly, even then Jesus was seeking him. And as Peter doubted and wondered and wondered about his, even if he could be forgiven and doubts and disappointment were in his heart, Jesus was seeking him. And when Peter was ready to give it all up there at the shore of Galilee and to go back to what he was doing and fishing, even then Jesus was seeking him. And Jesus is still seeking. Think of Adam and Eve who lived in perfection and peace with God until sin changed everything and in the midst of all that chaos and confusion that sin brought into the world it was God who sought Adam to restore his relationship with man and when the world was full of sin and violence so much that God God had had enough and he vowed to destroy his creation. And when sin was as bad as it possibly could get and God now is ready to wipe man off the face of the earth, it was God who sought Noah and through him reached down to reclaim his creation. And God saw that a savior would be needed, a perfect sacrifice to take away man's sin once for all. And it was God who sought Abraham so that through that nation the savior would come. And it was God who sent his prophets to warn his people about their sinful ways. And through their prophecies, God's judgment, he was always seeking and he was always reaching out to regain his place in the hearts of men. And then God went silent. There was no seeking or reaching for 400 years. And then think of this in his grandest effort. To seek the fallen, to seek sinful man, God reached all the way from heaven and gave us his son. And when Jesus was nailed to that cross, he reached up to grab the hand of God. And he reached down to grab the hand of sinful man. And there he found us. And then in the New Testament, we see he reached out and found Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he reached out and found Saul on the road to Damascus and even changed his name. And he reached out his hands, remember, and found Thomas filled with doubt. And he reached out to a woman caught in adultery. And time and time and time again, we find the shepherd seeking and finding the lost one. Has he found you? He found a 17-year-old kid in Peoria, Illinois. He had to reach a long way because I was in the, sorry, back row of the balcony. 
because that was as far away as I could get. God reached down and found me. Has he found you? He continued to seek Peter. You know, after his resurrection, the angel said something unusual. Be not affrighted, he said. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There's a story about a young man named Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson was evidently a wild youth in England. Came to repentance, came to the knowledge of salvation. Listen, hearing George Whitfield preach. He became a pastor, a theologian, wrote hymns as well as, well as theological works. One of his hymns written in 1757, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know this verse, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That wasn't the end of his story. At some point in his life, he's turned his back on all that. Turned his back on God, the things of God. Sowed his oats, as we sometimes say, wandered from the same Lord that he had already written about. And in his heart, apparently felt he could not even return. The story goes that years later, he's riding in a stagecoach with a young woman who didn't know who he was, but was humming the, the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. As he hears this young woman hum his hymn, he says, ma'am, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. And she said, sir, streams of mercy are still flowing. Amen. Another great verse of his hymn goes like this. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. This message isn't just about Peter's failures. It's not about really our failures. This message is about a forgiving God who seeks to find the lost one until he finds it. And bring us back into a relationship with him. And that picture of that shepherd as he reaches out to grasp that lamb clinging to life. Just a tiny glimpse of the truth. Because he's seeking you today. He is looking for you. I would ask you to bow your heads with me. And just let me ask you a couple questions while no one is looking. How many would say, Brother Ted, I may not be everything I should be. And there are certainly times where I've failed and disappointed myself. And I've sinned. 
But I know this, there was a time I received Christ as my Savior. And while not perfect, I know I'm saved and I'm thankful for that. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? All over, we see folks with their hand raised. I'm so thankful for that. Thank you. It could be this morning, you're one of those that Jesus is seeking. That lost one. That one who doesn't know Christ. That one who's wandered from the fold of God. If you don't know him this morning, can I tell you this? He's seeking you. He loves you. The cross says, if you're wondering, the cross says he loves you. And we certainly do too. We want to see you come to a knowledge of salvation. Is there one that would say, Brother Ted, I'm not sure about my salvation. I'm concerned about it. I'm not sure about it. I'm not sure what would happen to me if I died this morning. I don't have the confidence that my sins are forgiven and that heaven would be my home. Would you please pray for me? Is there one that would raise your hand so I would know who to pray for? Pray for me, Brother Ted. I'm not sure about my salvation, but I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me, please? Anyone? Just lift up your hand long enough for me to see. Thank you. And maybe you're a believer this morning. And you're out of the fold of God. Like the hymn writer. Can I tell you that God's not giving up on you. And he's doing whatever it takes to seek you until he finds you. Would not this morning you get right with God. However he has spoken to your heart in whatever way. Would you not come. Heavenly Father I'm thankful for your word. Thankful for this image of the shepherd who's seeking that lost one until he finds it. Even if it means, as the hymn writer put, he'd interposed his precious blood. So thankful that Jesus found us. As the hands were lifted as a testimony of their salvation, I'm so thankful. Not everyone could raise their hand. And Lord, you know the hearts. You could be dealing with some right now in, in the area of salvation. Or maybe some believer who's wandered away from truth and wandered away from you. However you've dealt with folks, I pray that they would come this morning. If there's one who doesn't know you, would they come? Let us take a Bible and show them the truth, how to be saved. They could leave this place knowing that they are saved and their sins are forgiven. However you've spoken, would we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Brother Aaron's going to lead the choir and singing Jesus Paid It All.